Welcome to This Is Nursing, a podcast about nurses by nurses. Let's get going. to This Is Nursing. It's a podcast about nurses by nurses, where we talk with nurses about their work and all the things that make their jobs exciting, complex, and unique. I'm Vicki, and I'm here with Tyler, a colleague and a pal. We're a couple of AHS nurses and your hosts today as we explore the world of nursing. And today on our show, we're talking with Josh McCutcheon, who works in quality and healthcare improvement as a senior design consultant. And he's going to help us understand how he found his way into his work, and what he loves about it so much. So welcome, Josh. Thanks for being here with us. Uh, thanks, I want to know all about you. Tell me about your, your nursing uh, career. What, what made you want to become a nurse? Oh, my goodness. Um, it's a story as old as time. No, I'm just kidding. Um, funny enough, I, uh, <laughs> I, I used to be a plumber, um, and I was a mechanic back before I got into nursing. Um, and I, I, I enjoyed the work. There's nothing better, but also being a mechanic who was working on cars was kind of a hobby and I really didn't want to turn it into a job. And I was looking for something that was just really meaningful to me. Um, and I enjoyed the paycheck and I enjoyed kind of the physical labor, but I was looking for something different. And, and my mom, who was a nurse said to me like, well, what if you try out nursing? Like, why don't, why don't you give that a go? And I was like, well, I don't think that's a, that's something you just get go. Um, but also B, <laughs> like how could I kind of learn and experience it? And, and she kind of put me in contact with some people that she knew. And I got to talk to them about nursing. And, and I met a, a couple of people who were really passionate about, you know, helping others and, and seeing people that are most vulnerable and inflicting real uh, amazing change. And um, I just was so interested by it in like Im immediately I thought, well, this is cool. Um, why haven't I thought of this a, and then B, how do I get started? Um, and then that's when I started applying to nursing schools. So different systems, different pathologies, cars don't really talk back to you, I suppose. No. And so this was probably a bit of a learning curve, uh, or was it, I don't know. Did you just fall? I feel like you're like, you can, you know gap with the best of them did you just fall right into that relationship building piece well no i you know what it, it was um i'm generally i've been told i'm a really good i'm an extrovert i can chat well with really anybody um so like i i kind of did that with this idea of nursing and just started to kind of explore and find things about it and ask questions and i didn't really connect the dots like in high school i loved biology but for some reason it was still like you know on my mom's side of family everyone was electricians and they were going into the trades except my mom of course um you know worked in the oil field and, and um i just felt like well that was a natural place for me to go but i you know looking back on it now nursing just kind of makes sense in high school my best courses were things that had to do with the body like biology and chemistry and i didn't do really good in wood shop <laughs> in the mechanics courses even those 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 were a thing so the, the transition to the idea of nursing wasn't too far of a stretch, even though it felt like one at the time. Um, but it, it was a challenge for me to kind of fit into a new space and a new world because I had been so kind of ingrained in the other side of things before we moved into it. 
I think it's so cool that you're a mechanic. You're the, I ask that question of every nurse that I meet. What, why, you know, why did you become a nurse? You're the first one that's ever been a, was a mechanic first. And that's, this is why I think it's funny. Um, and I think it's awesome. My dad is a mechanic. He always had a millwright. And he used to, you know, and I tried to early on, it's like, you know, basically dad and have the same job, you know, as a nurse and you're as a mechanic. And he said, can you explain that a little bit? And I, I was never able to articulate it, but you've just done a really nice job, I think, of pointing the, connecting the dots. But I, I just think that's really cool. Um, and, and so, and what about your nursing career so far? You've done a few jobs. I think you've got probably the, one of the coolest job titles right now in AHS, a senior <laughs> designer, um, design consultant. But can you tell us about how you ended up with that job? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I came out of nursing bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Um, and I did the thing all of our nursing and instructors kind of told us from the beginning. They're like, go into general medicine to start. So, you know, I agreed. General medicine was a great place to be. And when I came out of nursing, there wasn't a ton of jobs. So, um, I was lucky enough to undergrad on a unit and then get a position on the same unit um, in Fort McMurray, Alberta, um, where I worked on the medical unit there at their hospital, Northern Lights, and really great experience. And I, you know, I still say that that's the best place to start. You finish nursing school, if you're listening to this, and you're nursing school, general medicine or general surgery is a great place to start. Because um, what your instructors tell you is true. You're going to hone your skills. You're going to learn a ton. Um, and you're just going to prepare you for that next step. And I know a lot of us dream about like working in intensive care, working in peds and all of these places. But give yourself that really good foundation because trust me, it's going to help you for the future um, like it did for me. Um, so I worked there for a while. I went to, and I worked in ICU for a little bit as well. Um, and then my wife uh, and I decided, you know, we wanted to kind of move closer to family. So that brought us to Red Deer, where we live now. Um, and I worked on a neuro, a medicus, neuromedicine. I can't speak on Monday. A neuromedical unit, and I worked there for about four years. I want to say um, maybe close to five before uh, I got an opportunity to work in clinical quality improvement. Um, and it was a weird transition. It was honestly like I went from like the frontline nursing, you know, working days, evenings, nights, one, you know, weekends and holidays to this Monday to Friday job. Um, uh, sorry. No, it's okay. I want to hear all about that. I want to take us down a tiny rabbit hole first because I don't want it to get lost. But I think that's like, that is a big conversation what you were about to start talking about about that transition because it really is huge. At least I felt it was huge too. Uh, but can I just pause for a second? Because you've just worked in so many different areas and you're encouraging people to work in med surge. And absolutely, I mean, that is really where you're going to um, develop your skills, as you said. Do you think, because uh, you also worked in ICU, I saw this clip on the internet the other day, of course, right? Like, I really need to stop looking at the internet so much, but <laughs> it's a good time waster. It was about this nurse who uh, spent a lot of time working in med surge. And that whole like um, the the sort of uh, what is the term like glamour that's associated with working in the ICU and emerge and so did you feel that there was a big difference between your life and med surge where you were like probably just just killing it just taking you know to working at the top of your game taking care of really quite acutely ill patients and then that transition to ICU. What was there a big difference for you? I mean, just in in speaking to sort of those 
um, those new grads, I guess, and those folks that are sort of new on the scene. I just love to hear your perspective about that because I think it's a piece that uh, people kind of know innately, but they're a little bit hesitant about. For sure. Um, I'm going to be really honest. When I left medicine, I was like, yeah, like I can do charge. I, I can, you know, take care of people who are really acutely ill on the medicine unit. And then I went down in ICU and it was a totally different world. You, you know, I was working with people who I think had been in ICU for a long time and they had a ton of experience and i immediately went in thinking like all right i'm i'm relearning how to ride a bike the world was completely different okay, okay. And, and things applied of course there are things that work but your level of, ta of autonomy drastically shifts and mm. there's a lot more that you kind of need to know and, and you know i took the i think it's a full month course um opaca i think adult mm -hmm. care yeah and, and it was really really overwhelming um at the start and then you kind of start to figure things some things out um but it was a, a stressful environment to be in um i definitely wasn't there long enough to kind of say that you know i was ready to kind of go and and i can take care of an acutely ill patient completely on my own okay so i i'd love to know about that transition period uh between being um you know, really like kind of frontline clinical nurse to this quality role that you have now, what was that like for you? Um, <laughs> it was not easy. I had a really rough time. Um, so what ended up happening in the frontline, my manager kind of came to me and she said, you know, do you want to be part of this program called COACT? And, uh, you know, not knowing anything and me thinking, you know, about the ladder and like, how am I going to move up in the world? Like, yes, I didn't really learn much. I just said, yes. And, and uh, you know, it kind of put me in touch with some people that were in the quality improvement world. Um, I was, you know, asked to do this co-act. I think they called us champions or co-act leads or unit leads. I don't yeah, know unit lead. Yeah. Yeah. So I did the unit lead thing for almost a year where we kind of helped the team. You know, looking back on it now, I didn't know it at the time, but I was kind of someone who's helping with the change management piece. You know, looking for a change champion or someone to kind of go on the unit and be like, no, guys, trust me, it makes sense. We should try it doing this way. And Nod's amazing. And and we need, you know, we need care hubs because X, Y. And, uh, you know, I found it, you know, it was definitely challenging working, you know, trying to introduce change within, you know, a nursing floor. But I learned a ton and, and I immediately felt as though, like, what else could I do? Um and an opportunity arose because of my co-act connection with somebody in the quality improvement world. They kind of came to me one day and like, hey, we've got a mat leave that's opening up. You know, do you want to try this out for 12 months or, you know, 12 months? I don't think you're allowed 12 months. I think it's 364 days because <laughs> union <laughs> rules. And I was like, yeah, yeah, like, let's give this a go and kind of see what it's like. And I, you know, I showed up to my first day and sat down at my desk and I was like, okay, what happens now? Because your total, your routine is totally flipped on its head. You know, you're used to showing up at 7am, not eight, and you're used to opening up patient charts and getting ready kind of for the day. And now I was like opening up my email and looking at what my day was going to bring and whether it was meetings or typing out emails or working on project charters and things like that. So it was a, it was culture shock immediately. Um, because also like, you know, we were talking about change and I was so used to the front line. I was like, yeah, let's just do it. And in this world is like, no, 
Like we need to take our time. It needs to be really thought out and you got to involve the right stakeholders. And, and, and I'm like, I don't know. Any you of might, this you might not even know them right at this yeah. point. Cause you're new in that, in that sphere. Yeah. Yes. I didn't know anybody and, and it was, uh, it was really, really tough. Um, but I left nursing because I felt there was a need for change. I was working in the same spot. This was my longest uh, position that I worked in since starting nursing. And, and, you know, I thought co-act was my opportunity to elicit like massive change. And, and although things did change and it was different, whether or not it was better or worse for the patient, that's neither here nor there for me to kind of elaborate on. But um, I felt as though I wanted to do something huge, right? These delusions almost of grandeur were kind of <laughs> running through my mind. Um, and I thought, yeah, quality improvement was going to be the space for me. And, uh, although there was opp some opportunities to create big change, that grandeur that I was hoping for wasn't there. Okay. So you said you, you wanted to leave nursing because, and so do you feel that you have left nursing? Do you feel that you have, that now you see it in a way that it's like, okay, it's a pivot, but it's still nursing. What's that like for you? I still call myself a nurse when yeah. people ask me, like, are you, you know, what do you do? And I'm like, I'm, I'm still a nurse. Um, cause in my current position, I feel like I've got the opportunity to connect with people. Um, uh, sometimes on a fairly deep level, depending on what I'm working on. Um, so I still like to say that, uh, but I'm also a recovering nurse. I like to say as well. <laughs> Because, you know, there's, I get a lot of opportunities to really question the system and push it into other places um, and say things to people I never thought possible before, um, which is a really cool job to be in sometimes. It, it's hard, you know, to say to a senior leader or someone who's an executive within the organization, um, I think we're doing the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. it, it, Versus what I used to do was like, okay, we can improve on what you're doing. And now my mantra is, you know, we don't improve on things. We kind of ask, are we doing the right thing in the first place? Um, which can be stressful, but uh, it does allow for some really interesting results. Um, and I think it's empowering for people as well. Sorry, I'm yeah. ranting a little bit. No, no, this is great. So you're a disruptor. What is that? The Helen Bevan, the, the um, NHS has this school for what do they call it? Shoot, I should know, but the, the whole okay. thing is about building up disruptors, right? Yeah, the school for change agents. Um, yes. I actually took that immediately as I went into <laughs> quality improvement. Um, and it's about being like a positive disruptor. And, and I think that's something that we need more of in the nursing profession, if I'm honest. Because unfortunately, you know, when I was working at the front line, I was just experiencing the disruptor, the one who's like, I, or not disruptor, the dissenter. They know that we're doing the wrong thing, but they're going to complain about it and they don't offer up something that we can do differently or change or try out. And then you have the other side of it where there's this positive disruptor who's like agrees. They think the exact same thing that the other person thinks, but they're thinking one more step. They're like, okay. I hate this. I don't like this, but how can we do it differently? And then they try out different things or they push the organization to try out different things to kind of improve on the experience. Um, by the way, it, like it's a great learning, the school for change agents, um, highly, highly review, encourage others to take it. 
Yeah, I've, I've only heard good things. Uh, I had a little exposure to it, but um, it was really not long enough. I didn't do the full program, so absolutely. So this, uh, this notion of being a disruptor um, on the unit, is this kind of like where it, a nurse can start becoming sort of more of an innovator, pursuing more of that quality lens? Is there room for that at AHS? Or do you think that people really need to like look for a formal role? Tell me your thoughts on that. Um, no, we do not need formal roles to do this. Um, my, you know, part of my job is to help influence others to think differently and to try out new things. Um, I'll talk about that after, but like, it's good to have formal positions that do this, but if we're truly going to be an organization that really innovates and does new things, our innovation needs to come from the bottom like that, you know, it's about shared innovation and people questioning what they do at the front line, because let's be honest, they've got the real experience that even like myself that I don't have when I go into a new space and they're, they're wanting me to help them innovate. Like I start off with saying like, I'm not the expert. I, I do not know the answer, but I'm going to help get the answer out of you because you know it, you just don't know it yet. And then we really go and, and try to push these frontline staff to try to think a little a bit differently and try and do something new because again, innovation doesn't happen up at the top of an organization. The only thing that happens at the top is the permission to give the front line and those who are in this area of the space to innovate. And once that's there, you know, they kind of need to grab onto it with both hands and, and really try and question what they do and why they do it. Um, and if they are doing the right thing in the first place, because they, they know they just, they got to give that opportunity. And that's kind of what Coact gave get, did for me. Um, without me even knowing it, they gave me that, you know, one shift a week to kind of question the way that we were doing things and, and try to change certain elements. I just love uh, listening to you talk about this, Josh, because I mean, it sounds very much like my own personal journey, very similar, you know, was in a, in a clinical role that I absolutely loved. I loved being a clinical nurse and I, and I still wish for those days, but I felt like we could do so much better and had the opportunity, had great leaders that saw that sort of desire or passion or something in me and created some space and some opportunity for me. And it looked very similar, you know, a day or two a week working on this project. And for a while I, I went into a formal role, but, and then, and then I've moved, moved on into other formal roles and, and left that clinical world behind. But I think AHS is kind of growing and maturing. I don't know if that's the right word, but to a point where, yeah, we need, we've got people like you and now we can set teams up to think about this and make things be part of making things better without having to leave and look, worry about what's the next thing on the ladder. What's the next job that I need to get and help them, you know, maintain and keep their passion in their area, wherever they happen to be. Do you agree with that? Yeah, a hundred percent. I am. And you know, I may not be a hundred percent correct on, on the description, but like ward of the 21st century, if you go and get a job there as a frontline nurse, like the expectation is that you take part in research projects and innovation. Like, I, I don't think that should be siloed in one single space. I think those opportunities need to be more widespread. 
Um, and I know it's really hard, especially right now during a pandemic and we've got people that have been redeployed and we're just trying to make sure that we've got enough nurses to kind of fit the, the patients and the acuity that we have. But eventually things will kind of return back to a bit of a normal. And then I think this idea of innovation at the front line really needs to be embraced. There's actually, a, um, I'm not going to remember the name of it. There's a hospital down in the States and they have an innovation space as soon as you enter in the hospital. And anybody can come in with an idea and they will fund it for like $200. Not a ton of money, but they'll, they'll connect you in with the right people to go and like, you know, we want to create something. And a nurse walked in one day and she was like, well, I want a way to kind of block the IV port because we've got a lot of IV drug users who are here for IV medications and they got central lines for a long period of time and we need to make sure they're not tampering with them. And they said, okay, gave her 200 bucks. They went and 3D printed a couple things. She developed this new IV line and I believe Baxter purchased it for a couple hundred million dollars or a couple like tens of millions of dollars. And, and it started off with $200 and somebody saying yes. That, that, that's really all we need is somebody that can be connected to people at the front line with a hunter box or even just time and the word yes to try something out. I think it's a that's really a cool story. a powerful story. Oh my gosh. And just like the, once you hear that, it's like, okay, well, what else can we do? Get it, those creative juices flowing. It's limitless. Really, it is. And, and nurses, I think, are thinking about it all the time. Every single day when you're going in, you're doing a wound change or you're changing an IV line or you're changing an IV bag. There are hundreds and thousands of nurses who are wondering like, oh, I bet you we could do this better. I bet you this product could be better. They just don't have the opportunity to go and speak to somebody that can help them work on their idea or change something at the front line. So how do we get the word out on that? I know lots of people and people are passionate, have ideas. And of course, everybody, and, and I know the pandemic has been especially, made this especially true, but everybody says this, we don't have time. We don't have time on the unit, you know? Um, so you work with some teams that have figured out a way, you know, can you, how, what, how, how do we get, first get the word out, connect the people with the right people and how do we work out the, uh, find the time for people to, to do this? Oh, I wish I could say I've, I, I've got the answer to how do we go and, and give people the time when time is one of our most precious resources, especially in healthcare. Um, you know, I think some of the easiest ways are what, things that are already being implemented and developed, and we just we just don't do it yet. And, and you know, I say that as in how a quick and easy way to hear innovative ideas from others. Dragon's Den allow people three minutes to pitch a problem. What is their idea? And what do they think the outcome is going to be? It's three minutes for innovation. And I've, I see it more so now happening within the healthcare system where people have these innovation days or they'll have, you know, um, time for just people to submit ideas and things like that. And then there's a team to back it because the person at the front line, like you said, they're not going to have all the time in the world and kind of give up a shift every week to kind of work on something, but they've got three minutes or they've got time to kind of maybe develop an idea and then submit it. And there's so many ways that we can hear these ideas from others. Um, one cool thing that I was part of, um, in Red Deer actually was a hackathon where they presented the big problem and they invited everybody. They're like, if you're a frontline, you're a manager, you're a nurse, uh, a nurse educator, 
come to us, share with us your problem. We'll pick some of the, you know, the most popular problems, popular problems, and, and uh, we'll allow teams to come up with innovative ideas. And then we're going to have a quality improvement team try to support it if they win. And I believe I mean, six ideas incredible. ended up moving forwards. Six went forward? Six ideas ended up going forward, I believe. This was a um, while ago. That is such a cool idea. So, okay, so if you don't have a hackathon near you in your local community, <laughs> what is it like, do you take these things to your quality council? Like give us an idea of like, um, you know, when, when people uh, have a very new sort of culture of supporting this type of change and brainstorming and creativity, what are some of those sort of like um, smaller, more traditional angles that, um, you know, they might engage in the meantime while they're, uh, you know, planning for something larger like you've just described? For sure. Um, so before you do that, before you do any of the things you were just kind of talking about, develop your three minute pitch. And I know it sounds really, you know, lame, but be having your elevator speech ready to go, be really succinct is extremely important and it's not hard. You, you want to have people kind of understand your problem. So describe it really well, use a story, have it linked back to a person. Data's great. The human side's more important. So express the human side and you got to be able to do it in under 60 seconds. The next piece is, is your 60 second idea of what's going to change. What do you want to do? What does it look like? Is it a tool, a brand new process? Is it something you're going to make? Whatever it may be. And then the last thing is, what is it going to affect? What are you going to do to the human that you already talked about at the beginning? What does their new experience look like? So practice that three minute pitch and then take it to whoever is going to listen. If you're really passionate about it, don't, don't stop at your manager. Don't stop at your quality counsel, write an email to your leader and say like, who could I be connected into? Is there somebody from quality improvement who's stationed in my area that I can get connected in within and chat with a little bit about this, you know, try to find your other positive disruptors. Maybe it's just another nurse on your unit, but you know, once you find that team, you'll be able to start kind of moving things forward. That's great. <laughs> I'm so good. Um, now, let me ask you just one thing about our new kind of generation of nurses that are coming. Do you think that they're sort of uniquely wired for innovation? Um, and if so, like, are they learning about this in school that you're aware of? And if not, how do we support them as they enter our organization to, to be excited about this from the moment, the first day they started HS? Any ideas about that? Um, so I think they're uniquely equipped, if I'm honest, the technology and the things like that, even from when I started to now, you know, 11 years ago, the access is becoming much more easy. Um, maybe easy is the wrong word. Innovation has become more open source. There are new ways that you can think and new ways of doing things and design thinking itself is completely open source. You can go online, watch a bunch of videos, read a bunch of free books, or even if you're feeling like it, you can buy a book, but you don't have to. And you can learn how to become a designer. It's one of the coolest things about it, if I'm honest. Um, so there's a lot more that's available to people um, at their fingertips than, you know, 11 years ago. Um, sorry, staffing. <laughs> I'm still part-time, um, they can still call me to come in back at the front line. Um, 
So anyone can kind of be a designer. The other thing as well is I think they are well equipped to ask the question why. And that's really, really important. And when I left nursing, um, you know, I was asking why, but the answer was different. The answer was because we're told to, or because there's a policy and it was kind of like a, don't keep asking, just do it. Now I'm, I'm seeing more of people like, well, then why is that policy there? You know, how long has that policy been around? Um, you know, you look at the bottom. Wait a minute. This policy is typewritten. Yeah, <laughs> Exactly. So that there's a lot more questioning now around, okay, but why does that policy exist and, and what kind of brought it into fruition? So you keep saying you left nursing, but they, they're not letting you leave. No, yeah. no. <laughs> Are you Sorry. free right now? <laughs> yeah. Are you able the, to work in 10 The minutes? warmer it is, the more I get called, it feels like. Mm. <laughs> All right, sorry, that is off now. This is a, just a really been a really uh, continues to be a really exciting conversation, and it gives me hope for the, you know, what the next uh, ten years is going to look like compared to the last ten years, which, um, you know, um, and I think it is. I think the culture I, we see it. I see it anyway. The cultures are are shifting, and we are moving away from that old policy and procedure uh, world, taking a bit of time and and seeing that yeah the best some of the best people to have involved with making things better are the are the users and the you know the frontline providers and the, of course the patients and everything and then we've got people like you to help us find the answers so i think yeah i think things are looking good if you had a piece of advice to give to a nurse today what would that be oh just This is going to sound really lame, I think, but that's okay. I'm going to say it anyways. Yeah, go um, for it. Follow your instinct. If you are doing something and it just feels redundant or you feel like you're just doing something for the sake of filling off or checking off a box, there's a good chance that is the only reason you're doing it. And be unrelenting in your questions. Even if you don't know the answer, that's fine. But constantly be asking questions about, okay, why are we doing this? And I'd love to say, embrace your inner five-year-old. I have a five-year-old, so I'm kind of experiencing this right now. And just always ask why until you really get to the root of a reason why you're doing something. And I love this story um, out of the UK. And, and they talked about how if you rode a bike to go to work, you had had to fill out a piece of paper. You had to fill out like how long you, how far you traveled and your name. It was like this registry of people who are biking to work and they'd been doing it for years and years and years. And nobody asked why somebody finally asked why. And it turns out it had to do with rations during world war two. They, oh, <laughs> they had 60 years of records collecting dust of people riding their bike to work. <laughs> And it ended because somebody had the, it, you know, was willing to ask, like, why are we even doing this? And somebody had the answer of, I don't know why, but let's find out. Opposed to just saying it's always been that way, which we hear all the time. That's I mean, such a good story. weren't convinced before. That's, that's what's, what really pushes them over the edge. That's bananas. Come on. I would love to say it's not true, but if you look it up online, it is most definitely you know, at least a true story that I've read in an, an article on change. So 
so great. And, and asking why I love that. And also some of the, one of the things I used to like to think about it when people are struggling sometimes with the work because it's nonstop. But what would your ideal day look like? Because everybody got into the, these professions for a reason, right? Space background, um, so what is missing from today that that could make it, you know, what could be better and how and why, how do we get there, right? And for the patient and for us and for everybody, it's okay to ask those questions. It doesn't need to seem like you're drowning every day. I don't know if that's my perspective. Anyway. No, I would agree. It doesn't need to feel like you're drowning every day. And it's all about creating those opportunities in the conversations. It could be in a break room. You don't have to be in a boardroom and, and asking even your own teammates, like you said, one way of like, how do, how do you, you know, start to do something for or move something forward. And you believe that there's an issue somewhere is just connect in the break room and say like, Hey, I was doing this the other day. And why are we doing this? And see what your rest of your team thinks. Cause that's how you're going to kind of build your team. You're going to build a bit of a movement because that's where real change is going to happen. Um, and that's how you end up not having to manage the change because the change is the front lines asking for it. There's no management that is required there. The energy is already there. Funny enough, you're ending up having to manage other people like in leadership to get them to kind of embrace your idea and the, and changing the way things are being done. Okay. So, I mean, this is really fun. We could chat for hours evidently, <laughs> but um, one last question, uh, where can people go on insight? Is there somewhere they can go? They can find out some information um, to explore a few more of the things you've talked about today and uh, you know, maybe start to learn more. For sure. Um, so you can go on Insight and you can find the Design Lab and it will link to our Off Insight page. Uh, so we have a non-AHS website, www.d4ahs.com. Um, on that website, you can find out a little bit about our team. It also gets linked into our YouTube channel, our Instagram and our Twitter accounts. So we're pretty heavily in the, in the socials. Um, and you can find stories of projects that we've worked on. You can find out a bit about our mindsets and how we believe work needs to happen um, or can happen. Um, and as well as on our YouTube channel, um, I actually ran a course on design thinking and teaching people how to use design in the healthcare space. Um, all of the recordings are online, so it's not as fun as doing it uh, with real people, but it still gives you some insights into how design works. Um, and we've had about 2000 people, I believe, go through our course since we've uh, developed it. Um, so yeah, I'd encourage you to check that out. Cause like I said, design's open source. You can find it everywhere. Yeah, this has been amazing. I, I, I mean, I think I feel like I've overused that word too much during this podcast, but I, I just, it's been, thank you for the work that you're doing uh, for joining us today and, and giving at least us, us some, and I think that our listeners as well, some good Monday morning inspiration and uh, doesn't, yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, the opportunities for nurses to help shape and improve the system are boundless and like you say, and limitless. So I look forward to what comes next. So thank you, Josh. Thanks for stopping by. You can find us at AHS Podcast. Please, please subscribe. Musical introduction is thanks to Yes Nice. You can find them on Apple Music, iTunes, and Spotify. See you next time.